Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries, a podcast about the interesting characters from our surveying and spatial industry and their unique perspectives on life and our industry. I'm Peter Cox and I use my 25 years of contacts as a surveyor and teacher to dig deep into the lives of others. Each fortnight, I delve into the life and times of people from all over the world who share the same profession and passions. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel, like, comment, feel free to share with your friends. Do you have a question about the surveying or spatial industry? Or would you like to join me for a chat? Or would you like to hear from someone in particular? If so, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can catch up. This week, join me while I chat with Bob Harrison, OAM, Registered Surveyor and Director at Harrison Friedman & Associates in Carlton, New South Wales, Australia. So grab your drink, sit back and relax while we chat. My guest today is Bob Harrison. Bob is a Registered Land Surveyor and Managing Director of a large company in Carlton, New South Wales, Harrison Friedman & Associates. Growing up, Bob was always curious as to how things worked, pulling things apart, but never being able to put them back together. This led him to the idea of becoming a mechanical engineer to learn how to rebuild things. This did not happen and Bob ended up in surveying and now has close to 50 years of experience in the industry. Bob has seen it all from using wire bands, vernier theodolites and hand crank calculators to today's technology of robotics and computers. He began his career with J.B. White in Hurstville while studying part-time at university. He and his wife, Mary, have featured in the Surveyor magazine. He has received various awards, such as the Professional Surveyor of the Year at the Excellence in Surveying and Spatial Information Awards, the ESI Awards in 2014. And in 2017, he was awarded the prestigious Order of Australia Medal for his service to the surveying profession and the community. Bob is very active within the surveying community and has given up his time to promote the industry to the next generations throughout the various industry days. Edging closer to his retirement years, Bob enjoys spending time traveling, fishing, working in the garden with his wife and restoring his old cars. Welcome Bob and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on. So Bob, let's get into it. Um, where did you, where did you grow up? Grew up at South Hurstville. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad bought a block of land there when he came back from the war, and um, built his own house uh, with the help of, of some tradies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we moved in there in 1951, and I lived there until I shot through my early twenties. So that, that was my formative years. I did uh, South Hurstville School and then Blakehurst High School. Uh, Blakehurst was a brand new school then. We were mm-hmm. the second intake. We were the first intake to do the full five years, but we were the second intake. There was a, um, a year before us moved in, so it was all pretty fresh country then. Yeah. Well, it would, probably would have been a good place to grow up back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. We didn't have the traffic that we had now. We had uh, bush <laughs> down the end of the street, uh, almost across the road, and yeah. and um, 
all the kids around there just went bush in the school holidays mm. and um, didn't get up to mischief, but but learned about uh, life itself. Yeah. So you said you like to uh, pull things apart and <laughs> not get them back together. <laughs> well, things like old watches and clocks yep. and, and anything mechanical. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my grandfather, who I never met, uh, he was a mechanical engineer, or I, th- I think they termed it an automotive engineer, actually. Okay. And, and I've still got a lot of his tools. Dad was very mechanical, but um, mm-hmm. Dad was a, an accountant who unfortunately sat for his, or was supposed to sit for his final accounting exams the day I was born. Uh, he missed the exams and uh, never got to be a registered accountant, but he did his whole life on the skin of his pants without a... Um, uh, a qualification which uh, served him fairly well until he retired at age 64 and wow. then he said to me um, at age 64 he said at that time I was in in business he said do you reckon you'd have a day a week for me I said oh I don't know dad I said come along on Monday so he came along on Monday and from that point he was with me for 13 years full time uh, as, a, as a field hand as a Cheney mm-hmm. and then uh at nights, he used to do the books for us. So we had um, an accountant on staff, which was very, very <laughs> useful, I can tell that's, you. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Not bad at all. So when you finished uh, high school, did you go straight into surveying at the uni or yeah. you worked? Or how yeah, did that... in those days, there was a thing called a cadetship in uh, uh-huh. engineering. Yep. And I applied for quite a few cadetships. I didn't mm-hmm. As it turned out, I didn't do very well in the leaving certificate. I passed, but it was nearly all B's. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I did get offered a cadetship in engineering, but my dad had, had been um, pushing me uh, into all sorts of careers advice. And one of the careers advisors was a man who feels the bumps on your head. And uh, we had a session with him. And out of all of that, he came up with this idea that I should be a surveyor. And my dad took that to heart. And uh, while I was applying for all of these um, bits and pieces for engineering cadetships, Mm -hmm. he saw the ad for John White, which effectively was a cadetship. It was a very, very new idea in those days. Uh, I'd never heard of it before, but um, John gave me half a day off a week to attend university. And um, he paid me the other four and a half days um, for for working with him. Mm -hmm. And there were two of us started that year, myself and Graham Kalnan. And and we went through um, uni part-time for seven years and uh, worked all day, um, studied at night, weekends, Mm -hmm. the works. um, It was was tough going, particularly for me because I wasn't all that um, academic. Mm. Um, but it was a wonderful uh, experience to be working while you were at university. I'm, I'm a great believer in the part-timing. And um, I stayed with John White for about three and a half years. And, um, and then I, I decided um, John was a businessman, um, a very good mentor to young people like me, but um, he was uh, he was a thorough businessman, put it that mm-hmm. way. 
Mm -hmm. And I decided I wanted something a little bit more professional. And I um, changed over to a job with Jeff Murray at Liverpool. And um, the first thing Jeff said was, you're going to join the institution and uh, you're going to put on a collar and tie. And I thought, oh, my God, Father. So for <laughs> the five years I was with Jeff, it was collar and tie stuff, um, unless I went bush. If yep. I went bush, the collar and tie came off. Mm -hmm. um, but Jeff was a, a old school professional type surveyor. And um, he, he gave me a different uh, idea of what surveying was all about. Yeah, I think, um, you know, back in those days, it was very much the, you know, the, the dress attire of having that collared shirt, and mm. the long pants or whatever it may be yep. um, to show that you were a professional. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. things have changed a little bit. Um, mm. When I um, left, well, I left Jeff in the end of 1974. Um, I went into him one day and, of course, we're in a recession then. Um, Gough Whitlam had um, probably uh, overstepped the mark with his expenditure. And um, uh, there was a lot of us who were finding it difficult to find work. And I said to Jeff, Jeff, I think that I probably need to find a day a week somewhere else. And the next day he came in and he said, I think you need to find five days a week somewhere else. Oh, really? Uh, um, at that time, we were doing some pipeline survey work and he yep. took me into the pipeline company and um, they, were, they were looking for surveyors and he uh, teed up uh, a contract for me with them. And oh. I stayed on that for the next nine or ten months um, yep. all around New South Wales. Mm -hmm. Were you registered? Moomba to Sydney Pipeline. Right, okay. Were you registered then yeah. by that stage? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, you got registered quite quickly in the sense of it took you a while to do your uni, but you were registered quite, quite While quickly. While I was going through uni, I focused on the fact that I was going to get registered as soon as I finished. Mm -hmm. And so I worked um, uh, for John White part time. Yeah, um, four and a half days a week, half a day at uni, and the odd Saturdays I got work with um, some surveyors at Penshurst for Saturdays. Uh, if I wasn't working uh, for them on Saturdays, I was working in the bike shop at uh, Marrickville where I'd been working since I was about twelve. Oh, okay. Uh, so I had part-time work there. Yeah, yeah. And then um, at the end of my oh, and, and I did my country time while I was at. Um, doing the studies so every Christmas I'd shoot through and do uh, a couple of weeks country work somewhere or a couple of months. Um, how did how did you do that like your people like you did you go and search out somebody yep. that was it yeah, yeah okay. The first mm -hmm. lot I did was uh, on the Lostock Dam up at East Gresford. Um, I got a, a, um, about two months with Water Conservation and Irrigation Commission just as mm -hmm. a Cheney. Uh, that was in my second year of uni. And then um, from that point onwards, I did uh, a couple of stints with Russell Kell in, um, in Goulburn for uh, mm -hmm. the three-month Christmas holidays and um, got to know a bit about country work then. But uh, And I, while I was with Jeff, Jeff was out at Liverpool and we did quite a bit of um, country work in, in the outskirts of Sydney, um, yeah. which qualified me as well. So I had all my time up. Mm -hmm. um and um so 
finished uni in uh, November 1972 when I finished yep. my degree um, and sat down and did all my plans for my board exams um, and uh, in the March of 73 I uh, sat for my exams they weren't very happy with me because I didn't have my degree at that stage but I managed to get a letter off the um, university to say that I was going to be awarded the degree so I got registered before I got my degree oh really yeah because <laughs> it what took a while once you finished your uni to actually get get your degree did it yeah, you see, you finished in November and it wasn't until May that you were actually awarded the degree. Oh, um, okay. And that's similar yeah. to what happens yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't happen on the spot. No, Anyway, no, so right. I, I got registered um, pretty quickly. Uh, I think I was the first of my cohort who, who got registered. Mm -hmm. and, um, and there I was able to sign plans from 73 onwards. Wow. 48 years later. Yeah. So I've had, uh, I started in 66, so what's that, 50, 55 oh. years roughly? Yeah. I've been surveying. Mm. And, the, and huge variety of work. Um, you know, I haven't done everything, but um, we've, we've done a fair bit of, of all different sorts of work. Mm. So it's been an exciting uh, career for me. Yeah, definitely. You, um, so you... You were working for the surveyor who then put you onto this contract work and you were there for, what was it, the 10 months or 10 whatever months, it yeah. was? And then what happened after that? Um, I decided that uh, the only thing, there was no jobs available, so yep. I, I decided I'd go out on my own. Mm -hmm. um, I bought the theodolite that I'd been using on the contract work and I fitted out. I'd, I've always had a panel van. Uh, I fitted out my panel van for gear. And I just knocked on doors of every surveyor I could think of. And uh, I picked up contract work with them. So mm -hmm. I did uh, um, all sorts of ident surveys where they had an overload or, or if they, uh, and this funny thing was um, John White um, got into trouble with the land titles office um, mm -hmm. over a couple of surveys because some of his uh, staff were a bit dodgy. Mm -hmm. And, um, he came to me and he said, I want you to completely redo these surveys from scratch. Give me a plan and, um, and we'll get on the good side of uh, LPI uh, yeah. or LTO okay. as they were yeah. then. What, yeah, back then. Yeah. So that was a, a, quite a, um, uh, I thought of it as an honour to be yeah. uh, taken back on, on that basis. And, um, but I probably did contract work for about, 25 different surveyors around Sydney. Yeah, okay. Um, sometimes it was looking after their practice while they were on holidays. Uh, sometimes it was just taking the overload. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had I had my gear and I was able to get a chainman so I could, I could just take the load um, as it required. And at the same time, I knocked on every legal door um, in the near vicinity mm -hmm. of my home mm -hmm. and picked up a bit of work that way for, uh, on the side. And um, it was uh, sort of a bits and pieces. I was lucky at that time I had a wife who was working. And um, if the money didn't come in from my source, uh, we had another source. And mm. um, we kept going. And then in 1979, one of the surveyors I was working for was Ed Steele at Carlton. My brother worked there. 
And yeah, um, it's, so your brother is he a surveyor as well, or he's yep. do, yeah, okay. Yep. Is he older or younger? Younger. He's five okay. years younger than me. Right. Okay. But he had a he had the same sort of thing. Um, he did part time uni, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but he's never got registered. Right. Yep. Uh, anyway, Ed Ed uh, was needing. He'd lost his his partner, um, Harry Membry, had uh, departed in 1977. Ed was about 72, I think, at that stage, and he needed a bit of a hand with the field work. So I was giving him giving him a bit of a hand, and and then his wife um, uh, got crook while they were on holidays. Uh, she got encephalitis, oh. and. Um, he decided he was going to retire and yep. look after her. And um, so he said to me, would you like to buy a business? And I said, oh, yeah. Um, I, I thought that that would be a, a good way to go. Mm-hmm. So we, we teed up a deal. But I said, the only reason I'll buy this business is if you, you stick around for a couple of years and, and give me some advice on things and, and sort of mentor me. Anyway, uh, four months later, Ed dropped dead. So that, wow. um that was an uh, absolute shock for me. But um, anyway, he uh, uh, had a business that w- was long-standing. It goes back to 1929, his business. Oh, gosh. And okay. um, so in, there we were in 79, uh, 50 years later. And uh, the business had been running down a bit, but he had a good mm-hmm. clientele. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it turned out, uh, I only ever lost one of his clients. I kept the whole lot, and some of them uh, became very adventurous um, in into the early eighties. Um, and um, I've still got them today as clients. Um, but because they're adventurous, and there I was, a young bloke, um, we we teamed up pretty well, and uh, the business took off. So that by early nineteen eighty, um, I couldn't cope. I was working stupid hours yeah and yeah. um uh, i'd already pete friedman lives down the road and pete came up one saturday morning this is my memory it's not his memory but my memory <laughs> is he came up one saturday morning and i'd been working all night mm-hmm. and i said oh jesus do you want to buy a bloody survey practice anyway we talked about the problem he'd come up to talk about which was a local um reserve that was being threatened by development and um the next wednesday he rang me up and he said yes i said yes bloody what <laughs> he said yes i want to buy a business <laughs> so uh, a month later there we were harrison friedman so mm. and we had 30 years to the day yeah together and um wow. absolutely brilliant partnership because yeah. um we were chalk and cheese Mm-hmm. And and we covered each other nicely. Um, so when we went to meetings, um, there was a good guy, bad guy. Or when we when we uh, uh, had to sort out problems, uh, we could talk to each other. I, I I think it's anybody who's trading on their own misses all of that, and it's mm. it's a wonderful way to um, expand your mind yeah. and, and discuss things. Well, I mean, everybody's always has a different perspective, don't they, in in how they see things. So Mm. having that other perspective makes a big difference in being able to come up with a solution or how to deal with 
with the problem or whatever it may be. Even if it's only reinforcing mm. the course of action you think you're going to take, it's very, mm. very helpful. Yeah. 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 And so, so okay, so when you began and then you went on and you did your consulting work and stuff, did you, did you always think that you were going to have your own business and manage a company and all that kind of stuff? No, no, no. no. Well, I was a very um, uh, reserved, withdrawn, introverted sort of a person. Okay. And, and I always wanted to be an employee. I never wanted to oh. stick my nose out and, and, and take that sort of responsibility. Mm-hmm. But I was, uh, I'd been in the Scouts. Um, I, I had my Queen Scout badge, uh, which gave you, a, you know, a fair bit of an idea of how to cope with uh, difficult situations. Mm. And uh, so when uh, the end of 74, I had to um, do something to survive. I didn't have any problem with that. It was just uh, find a way out of the problem. And, um, yeah. and that's always been my father. The, the only thing my father's ever said to me is think positive. And and so when you see a problem, you just think positive and find a solution, and mm. um, and that's that sort of an attitude has um, stuck with me all the way through. So whilst I didn't have any intention of doing that, mm-hmm. I um, I was able to to manage it. Um, the hardest thing I ever had to do was this cold calling on the the, the solicitors to try and get work. Yeah. I found that terribly terribly hard. Yeah. Um, and I don't enjoy that sort of thing, even to this day. Mm. Mm. So, but you probably wouldn't have to do much of it these days, would you? No, no, they come to me now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, how, how do you think that you've been um, managing in a company then? Like, did you gain a lot from um from from peter coming on board like was he a different personality to oh, you yeah, when it yeah. came to he, yeah. he was um very positive and adventurous mm-hmm. uh, where i wasn't yeah uh, the other thing that, that changed my life um in 1976 i joined apex australia as mm-hmm. a just a tin pot member yep um and before i knew it the the opportunities in Apex were that you had to take on a job. So whether it was editing the local um, rag or whether it was um, doing service work or or things like that. And you, you learned to get on with people in a team Mm, and you also were taught public speaking um, and, and various other things that, that made it, um, made me come out of my shell. And uh, I think from from the experience I had in Apex, um, if I hadn't have had that, uh, I don't think I'd have ever um, been the person that I am today. Right. And because you were with them, like, for quite a while in in that sense. I mean, like, do you still do stuff for them now? Or yep. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, okay. Apex kicked you out at 40 in those days. So in um, 89, I, I was kicked out of Apex uh or retired they they like to say (laughs) but um during my time in apex i had been involved in the apex children's chalet down at smiggin holes Mm -hmm. and um to this day i'm still involved with that and that's now operated by the apex foundation 
and um, uh, I'm I'm uh, the chairman of the subcommittee that that operates the chalet for the kids, mm-hmm. and and so that's kept me in touch with all of that. Um, yeah, and it, that's that's going very well. Um, mm-hmm. but, but again, um, I've got to find a way out. I've got a bloke who's coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll take over from me, and and it'll all keep going. Because under the umbrella of a foundation, they have to have proper management. Yeah. Um, I was on the Apex Foundation as the secretary for a couple of years back in okay. the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we reorganised the whole legal structure of the place. And it's had a couple of restructures since then because um, all the rules keep changing. But uh, I've stayed on as the chairman of the, um, the chalet a, a, a committee. So that's that's been good fun and kept me in touch with a lot of people that I made a lot of friendships with yeah yeah it, it would be do you want to just explain to everybody what the chalet is about um I know I've you know sort of looked at it and everything but from your point of view what what is the chalet about okay well back in 1976 the the guy who was coming in as the federal president of apex um heard a talk by a childcare worker at Manly, Barry Waterman, and he saw a need for there to be respite care for kids who were uh, disadvantaged. And that might be that they were underprivileged or they might be uh, impaired in some way, uh, physically or mentally. Um, And he thought that it'd be be great if he could um, get a place down at the snow to provide those facilities so we raised the money we conned uh, all of the suppliers to provide the goods (laughs) Uh, he employed a builder to build it but all of the trades were volunteers so I didn't go down because uh, it was the wrong time of my life but a lot Mm -hmm. of the people I know went down there and spent a week or two weeks And, of course, the poor old builder, he didn't know whether he was going to get a tradesman turning up for the week or whether he was going to get a handyman or a a job of labourer. But they built the thing and it opened on the uh, the, the 15th of October 1979. Mm -hmm. Malcolm Fraser opened it. Mm -hmm. And from that point onwards, it has been operating as a respite um, place for groups of children to go down uh, with Amazing. carers, um, and they've got to have um, the, the right carers, the supervisors, mm-hmm. etc. They get a free holiday uh, for a week um, at a time. Um, generally, they only go once a year, um, but but the place is, is is now only used during the winter year, the winter months. Previously, um, before the Department of Community Services reorganised, it was operating forty eight weeks a year, chock a block full of kids. Um, but with the reorganisation from large group homes to small group homes, it's much harder for the um, the people who look after the kids to organise groups, and uh, so it's it's only really operating in in a part time basis now. But we still go down um, twice a year for maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, January, we have work parties down there for three or four weeks at a time, um, doing all of the things necessary to keep it running, to refit it, do whatever. Mm. Um, in recent years, we've redone the bathrooms and there are, it, it's a three-storey building. Mm-hmm. Um, it holds uh, 23 um, kids 
in, mm -hmm. in um, dormitory, not dormitories, in, in separate bedrooms, in um, four to a room. Um, there's bathrooms upstairs and downstairs, um, boys, girls, and um, there's a games room downstairs. Um, we've got the, the local ski people provide uh, facilities for the kids to enjoy skiing while they're there. Oh, fantastic. Um, it, it's a community facility and mm. uh, in amongst all of the ski lodges that people pay a fortune to go down okay. and stay in. Yeah. Maintenance is a problem because um, it's a wild country um, mm. with the extremes of temperature and weather. Um, uh, it, it's just amazing how much maintenance there is. But we've already done the bathrooms. Um, we've uh, redone the kitchen a couple of times. Uh, last year, we pulled out all of the carpet, which had been there um, for about 25 years. And we repaired all the, the damaged flooring where it had got wet at various times from roof leaks or whatever, spilt mm. stuff. Um, we renewed all the flooring and, and now we've renewed all the carpet. Um, we've reclad it in colour bond instead of weatherboard. Um, we've put on um, steel balconies instead of timber balconies. Um, yeah. We're going to have to do the roof uh, in another year or two because the mm -hmm. roof's been on it now for uh, 30, whatever it is, 40 years. Um, mm -hmm. All of those sorts of things are all done by volunteers and we get enormous support from um, suppliers, um, Harvey Norman or uh, Nick Scarley or um, uh, Bunnings or whatever, mm. or Mitre 10, they, they give us the gear. It's That's just amazing. Fantastic. Woolworths, another yeah. big um, helper. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that all comes through uh, somebody on the committee pleading with them to, for assistance. Yeah, yeah. It's such a shame that it's only, um, only open yep. for a certain amount of time because it's so beautiful down there yeah. all year yeah. round. Yeah, um, we do get occasional use during the summer um, mm. and of course the kids that go down who are disabled it, it's built for disabilities mm. um, there's, there's a ramp right up to the the living level um, that they can use to to get wheelchairs and the like up but in the snow it's it's not really sensible to take kids down there who are mm -hmm. that disabled yeah. Um, whereas in summer, they can have a much greater level of enjoyment and, and the natural beauty in summer is, is, um, is fantastic. Oh, it is. It's gorgeous. Really fantastic. Mind you, sure. I mean, you can get snow in summer down there. I mean, yeah. I've been down there in January and it, we've had a uh, terrible snowfall and terrible blizzards. Mm. Um, it's, 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 it's not good weather. <laughs> yeah. You can't count on that Aussie weather, huh? Mm. <laughs> oh, so so being with Apex, did did that sort of help you? Because you've done a lot within the surveying industry as well, and given your time to you know all different um, causes within the surveying industry and helping out on the surveying days and things like that. And um, you've been. Uh, part of the institution, triple SI, you know, all, all these different different um, things. Did it kind of start with the apex and that sort of apex led on to? Apex was my training ground to, yeah. to learn about uh, meeting procedure, um, mm -hmm. teamwork, um, 
working with, with people and, and, and how to contact people and get things done. And then when I finished with Apex, Bert Cawthorne um, had been at me for a couple of years to, to go on to the ACS committee. Mm-hmm. And um, he conned me in about 91, 1991, to join the ACS committee. And um, uh, it was just another um, organisation that um, had meetings um, and was structured and mm-hmm. um, had teams of people who worked together and it just developed from there onwards. And so I did my, my time with um, ACS, served as their chairman, and um, I saw that there was a need to have greater liaison between ACS and the institution. Mm-hmm. So I I went on to the Institution Survey Practice Committee as the ACS representative in about 1993, and and that just followed through then that I, I came onto the the Institution Committee when I left <laughs> ACS uh, because the chair of ACS is the last thing you do virtually, um, right. so you serve your six years and then you do your, your time as chairperson and and then you move on and do nothing mm-hmm. well I, I moved on and did the institution then and, and um, <laughs> tried to cement the the, uh, the system that had been developed uh, while I was in ACS mm-hmm. and so how long with you in were you with the institution oh about 1997 until about 2014 or 15 or something mm. yeah wow uh, I think that's the first time I sort of remember you and, and your name and everything was through the institution when um, I was working for Jack, um, Jack Kane, and, and uh-huh. he sort of had a little bit to do with the institution. I think that's the first time I, I ever heard your name. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, been a while then. And then uh, in 1993... Barry McLeod started uh, making noises about the need for the Professional Surveyors Occupational Association because they knew that the uh, Professional Standards Act was coming in. Okay. And so I took an interest in that and um, finished up being on their committee as well mm-hmm. uh, and, and did a year, no, I did a couple of years as chairman. And then later on, I came back as chairman again because they couldn't find anybody. That's a mistake. Um, the mistake that you regurgitate chair people. You, you don't get fresh ideas when you do that. So I, mm-hmm. I was really there the second time around just in an interim um, position until Wayne Divertuck took over. Right. Um, but Keeping the seat warm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I, 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 I term it that way because um, I don't think – you get fresh ideas when the same person comes back again. Yeah. I mean, everybody sort of has their their ideas, their point of view, and, and very rarely do you see them sort of change. Change track or yeah. move forward yeah. as fast as they could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, and you've been a part of um, – you've been a part of the um, – doing the – the diversity and and women in uh, women in surveying days yep. uh, as well. Um, did you do do you do the maths in surveying days? Yeah, I do those. Yeah, yeah. So and I go to the um, engineering for women days. Okay. Um, 
because with the way the University of New South Wales is set up at the moment, they can mm. start their engineering degree. With a bit of luck, they might get a little bit of a taste of surveying and, and uh, change track and become surveyors. Well, so, I think uh, that there's happens. a hope there. <laughs> yeah, I think that happens quite a lot, actually, uh, especially when it's that first year of engineering. Um, I think a lot of them do sort of see, oh, gee, that thing doesn't look so bad and it's not that hard and you get to be outside or inside and there's so many different areas that you can go into. Yeah, there's not, not a lot of understanding of, of what surveying is. We've never really marketed ourselves until this, um, this latest thrust started with the, um, uh, the, the Melbourne idea of, um, uh, well, was something frog wasn't it to start with blue frog or something oh yeah with michelle yeah. brooks yes yes yeah. something and, like that that's and now it's um oh, life without limits and yeah the task force and life without task limits force, and, yeah. yeah. Mm. and i I've, I've i've been a great um believer in that because i think that we've never marketed ourselves properly and if we can if we can build on those ideas yeah. and they're really rolling well at the moment, I'll give it every, every help that I can. Mm. I mean, somebody's got to take over from me. <laughs> and um, if I don't help them come along and, and, uh, and fit in, then uh, I'm, I'm to blame. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Like, you know, there is, seems to be a relatively small group that do a lot of this, uh, reaching out to schools or, or volunteering to do these days and stuff like that. Um, and then there's others that just sort of go, oh, I've got my job and that's it kind of thing. How, how do we get other people to to realise that they need to come and help and step in and take your place? Well, employers have got to start the push. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm at a stage of life where I've got, the ability to find a little bit of spare time. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a young family um, or you're, you're paying off a huge mortgage or you're trying to establish yourself in business, um, you don't have those opportunities. No. But if you're an employee, it, it's then the only way you're going to start to get interested in the outside world is if your employer gives you an opportunity. And I think mm-hmm. it's the employers who need to step up and say, you can afford a day or two off each year to go and do those sorts of things. Yep. And, and I'll, I'll um, cover you for those days. Yeah. So I see that as being the way that the only way you're going to get people to volunteer these days. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, I think the companies really need to think about that. I know that there are certain companies that do do that every time you've got the same companies and stuff, but it's very it's very hard when everybody's always so busy and, you know, you, you don't even have time for people to just have a day off, you know, sort of thing. They're working them 60, 70 hours a week because they've got that much work on and all that sort of stuff. But unless you actually put in and, and give back and help a little bit, then it's not never going to change, is it? Well, you can't get a, a registered surveyor for love or money at the moment. Mm. And, and if somebody doesn't start to take a bit more um, thought as to how they're going to fill those gaps, we're going to be in terrible trouble because we'll get a lot of the things that we do taken off us. Yeah. We won't have the, the, the thrust of work that we've got at the moment. Mm. 
Yeah, so I so think that there's a bit more forward thinking required. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think we're getting there slowly. Um, I don't know. Hopefully, I hope so. <laughs> hopefully we. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully. I think we're getting there slowly. So um, what is the... What is the most um, exciting thing that's ever happened to you in your working career? Probably working in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Um, we we took on the formation of a consortium mm-hmm. uh, with Dave Mepstead, Paul Lamotti, um, Ian Sparks, and and ourselves to do strata surveys in Dubai when it was. Um, coming up in 2008, uh, Ian was working on the Burj, well, it was the Burj Dubai then, it's the Burj Khalifa now. I went over in, in 2006 um, to get a feel for it, and mm. I thought it was a fantastic opportunity that they were throwing up all these big buildings. They were going to bring in the strata laws. The strata laws were probably going to be based on New South Wales, Queensland, um legislation yep and i thought that'd be great so we we threw it all together and decided we'd do it and um i did i think i did six or seven stints over there a month at a time and we did it uh, so ian was there full time as the chief surveyor on on the burge mm-hmm. and and he would get the business opportunities to strata subdivide buildings and then either Mepstead, myself, or or one of the others would go over and do the uh, the necessary survey work to draw up the strata plans. Yeah. Okay. And and that was a fantastic um, opportunity. And that was for a few years. You did that. Yeah, we did that from two thousand and eight till two thousand and eleven. Mm. And the the legislation, the the act was brought in, but never the regulation. And. Oh. And fortunately, that meant that the work started to waver. And it's not an easy um, place to work mm-hmm. from the point of view of the different culture and and um, uh, work ethics and uh, uh, employment laws. And uh, so it became a bit too difficult then. And we, um, we finished up, we, we finalised it in 2012. Mm-hmm. But the, the work was very exciting. And, and because I like traveling, mm. um, I found that a very exciting time of life um, to fit in and live in another culture. Um, mm. I, had, I had been um, involved in trying to start Apex in Thailand. Well, we did start Apex in Thailand back in the 80s. And, and I had quite a few trips over to Thailand and live in another culture there with the people we did. We wow. lived in people's homes there um, and, and got to know how things worked. And mm-hmm. I still speak the odd few words of Thai. <laughs> um, but um, that, that gave me the, the culture shock of, of travel. And, and I love traveling from that point onwards. Mm. So Dubai was, was the most exciting work that I'd ever done. Yeah. Yeah, completely different uh, country and... Do they kind of do the same sort of surveying as what we would do over here? I think they're they're more uh, digitised with their cadaster. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not as 
um, polished with their calibrations and verification of, of standards, etc. Mm-hmm. But um, they managed to to throw together a building um, fairly <laughs> tall ones too, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but some of the things you, you worry about, you know, you see the broken down cement truck in the middle of the road, and stalled in the traffic, and it's still there an hour or two later, and then it goes and delivers its cement, and you think, oh, geez, I'd like to see a sample of that cement tested, and uh, sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. Okay. Mm, it's a worry there. Yeah. Definitely, it sounds like. And they've it. had the odd fire in in tall buildings there, which mm-hmm. uh, uh, we, we're all suffering from the the cladding issue. Yeah. Um, so you know they haven't been smart enough to avoid all of that either. So it's it and and nothing ever seems to be finished because they're moving so fast. Everything is always half finished. Uh, okay, I wouldn't know. I've never been there. <laughs> And the heat, I mean, uh, uh, there were days uh, at one stage I was working in 55 degree heat um, it, during Ramadan. Oh, uh, you weren't allowed to eat or drink during the daylight hours. Yeah. Um, how the Indian and, and Pakistani and, and other um, labourers survived, I don't know. Eventually they gave them a couple of hours off in the middle of the day. But oh, in gosh. the beginning, they worked their 12 hour shift from six till six. Yep. And then the other shift had come on and worked six at night till six in the morning. They, Unbelievable. They, they, and they did that uh, nearly seven days a week. If you were Muslim, you got the, the Friday afternoon off. Okay. The rest of the time it went flat out. Yeah. So um, when you guys were over there working, were you doing pretty much seven days? Or, yeah, we, yeah. No, we did six days. Six days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And we we did the best we could in the the six days. Mm. So very very exciting times. Yeah, definitely. And so you still had the company going over here. Yep. During yeah. that time, and of course, global financial crisis. Um, mm-hmm. This was was so fortuitous that it carried us through the the GFC, mm. and um, the company here wasn't doing quite so good. Yep. Um, but we were surviving with what was coming in from over there. And then when it turned around and we stopped over there, um, things started to pick up over here. So we, we survived because of that. Yeah, lucky. Mm. Mm. Um, and your company now, um, how many people have you got working for you? There's 20 of us. Yeah. Um, you said a big company. I don't think well, it's a big company. Yeah. Uh, about half of them are doing Sydney Water um, work. And the mm-hmm. other half are doing surveying work. So right. we put out about uh, three or four teams of surveyors mm-hmm. and we've got um, d- design and, and uh, um, checking of Sydney water um, construction with the other half of the, the, the work. So we do only small stuff. We, we specialise in small jobs. Yep. Um, no big stuff. Um, we only do the little stuff so we're working mostly with small developers mm-hmm. and and that's our specialty so instead of having a nice um, you know a couple of big companies and and um, easy big uh, development jobs greenfield or high rise or whatnot we um we survive with hundreds of small jobs 
which is not so easy to organise. Um, no. But um, it's become our specialty and uh, yeah. we, we seem to manage it fairly well. Mm, okay. Um, so the small subdivisions, extensions, that kind of stuff. Yep, yep. all of that. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, so and, that would make it difficult if you've got, you know, having to have four or five jobs on during a day or who's going to be where. And mm. We are very, very flexible. Mm. I think you have to be. Very flexible, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you do mainly just in the city? We, we try and stay east of Parramatta and south of the harbour. Okay. Wollongong. Um, but you know we've got a job at Marimbula. We've got we've done work in Kempsey. Um, we'll head up the mountains without any trouble. Um, mm. But we try to stay where the traffic isn't going to kill us. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you spend more time travelling than doing mm. the actual job. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And the company now has is it four four directors? Yeah, four directors. Yeah, four directors. So there's yeah. myself and Dave Tremaine who are registered surveyors. Mm-hmm. There's Brad Wagner who's not a registered surveyor but but very, very good surveyor. Mm-hmm. Um, silly bugger should have got registered. <laughs> he, he, I think he got the uh, the TAFE medal one year but um, he didn't go on and do his, start his uni. So he was uh-huh. a silly bugger. And and Ash is an engineer from Uni New South Wales, and and he's okay. in charge of all the sewer stuff. Yeah, I think sometimes for for those that did the TAFE, I, I'm guessing a while ago, um, who made the choice not to go to uni, sometimes regret regret that decision. Now, <laughs> I always didn't want to go to uni because I. I didn't want the responsibility of being a registered surveyor and now I'm going, God, I should have gone to uni. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you stop studying, it's very hard to pick it up again. Some people can, hmm. but, but the majority don't. Yeah. They just don't keep going with it. No. And you lose the impetus. Yeah. For me personally, I could have kept going and I have done other another degree, you know, a few a few years back now sort of thing and now I kind of think oh I could go back and get my degree but I'm probably too old now. <laughs> well there's there's I can think of some people who are 50 55 years old who um, became registered surveyors. Yeah uh, I think I've in recent on... years in recent yeah, years. Okay yeah I think I've been put on another path now though. <laughs> rather than being out in the field anyway who who do you reckon's had the biggest impact on your career mm. well from a professional point of view jeff murray mm-hmm. um i'm still in touch with jeff okay. uh, in fact last sunday night i had an hour on the phone with him uh he's he's well and truly retired now but but he yeah. gives me a phone call every so often. So from that point of view, I think Jeff, John Monteith uh, on the oh, survey yeah. practice subcommittee, mm-hmm. um, marvellous mentor, Ted Hunter on, on this, that, that subcommittee. Um, uh, and, and rubbing shoulders um, with people in the institution um, 
stuff rubs off on you. Yeah. Either attitudes or knowledge. Mm. And, and um, I think that's, that's really very important mm. um, for your development. And consequently, you know, we, we don't have these um, seminars and meetings now face to face. And I think um, one of the things that suffers if this goes on for much longer is going to be that um, mentoring and, and uh, yeah. mateship and, and assistance that people offer each other without um, counting the cost. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, everyone says, Oh yeah, we can, we can work by doing zoom and having fun conversations and stuff, but it's really not, it's just not the same. Is it than being in a room with people? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And having those small, simple conversations that spark up an interest and, and, get those little little bites of knowledge off other people and stuff. That's right. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll get back there at some stage. Anyway. I think we will later this year. Yes. Well, it seems to be looking that way, doesn't it? Yep. And mm. I think that, um, you know, they say you can't mandate the jab and I don't think the jab's going to be the solution. I think um, a bit of common sense and care is still needed, but um, if if I if my people don't all get the jab, we're not going to be able to attend um, building sites, um, and and just one person can bring it in to wipe out the whole company mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of weeks while everybody gets over the COVID um, effect. So you don't need that. You know? Yeah, no, that's right, and it sounds like. Well, you know, a lot of government agencies are saying that you need to have, you know, you need to have the vaccination and all that sort of stuff. So there's going to definitely be sites that you do go on to where... I mean, I think it's ridiculous at the moment that um, some of the meetings can't be held face-to-face. The government virtually bans meetings face-to-face. That's Mm. crazy. Mm. And yet... um, they're such a big organisation that it wouldn't take much for one person to start wiping out huge numbers of workers, as we've yeah. seen in transport mm. or health. Mm. So I suppose uh, you've got to um, uh, be a bit more cautious than myself with my small organisation that um, can keep a better control of, of the um, things that can come in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just never know. Well, you just don't know, do you? <laughs> you don't know who's got it, where where people have ah. been, or anything. So I think just you know, being smart and just being cautious. I think that's the best thing that you can be. Hello, hi, hi Mary. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Bob gets cramps, so he has to stand ah. up now and then, which are a bit no of a problem. problem. Well, especially when we sit here talking for so long. Oh. <laughs> Well, he's used to having someone talking because I never stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But he'll be back in a sec. That's um, okay. But he didn't tell you that he um, he takes in kids from school during the holidays. Oh, doing um, the work experience. the work experience yeah, yes, yeah. for a week at a time. Mm-hmm. And he's got a couple of really good ones at the moment. So oh, fantastic. Fellow from Janali who had no idea what surveying was, but Bob went and spoke at the school and he's had a go. And that's what his goal is now. 
Awesome. Oh, that's so uh, no, good. I mean, it makes well, it such does. a difference. Oh, it does. Mm. It does. And if you show an interest, like, you know, if um, when I was working, because I'm not at the moment, I'm just a volunteer now with some mm -hmm. minis, he, um, he'd be, I'd be talking at the office, you know, because I was a medical secretary and knew, I was there for 20 years, so I knew the, the parents really well yeah and, yeah um, i'd say what's johnny doing how's his uh, maths and oh, i don't know what he wants to do and i used to keep all this <laughs> stuff under the desk and hand it over and <laughs> i heard you were a really good advocate for uh getting the word out there about really uh, funny. surveying <laughs> and i was going to show you can you bring this up for me please his uh, oam he got oh. an oam Look, yep. the medal. Isn't the medal beautiful? Can Brilliant. you see it? Yes, I can yeah. see it. That's yeah, I know, uh, that's just fantastic. Yeah, it's we were very proud. So of proud. Him. And yeah, he didn't definitely. even want to get it, did you? He said, oh. I don't, I'm not worthy. And I said, be quiet, get out there. <laughs> <laughs> nice talking to you. You Here too, you Mary. <laughs> You're a uh, proudest supporter there. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. she's very good. Very yep. good. She's uh, been by your side for quite a while too. Yep. Mm. Um, okay. What would be the best work advice that you've ever heard? Ooh. Never turn down an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, opportunities may only come uh, an opportunity may only come along once in your lifetime mm -hmm. you take it no matter what the risk and you have a go and as you're on the way you you make a decision that you're going to keep going forward uh, you might have to wander along the path a bit but you yep. keep going forward mm -hmm. uh, and you find a way around the problems that come up as you go um, there, there's, I've never knocked back any sort of work. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll have a go at anything. If I don't know how to do it, I'll find out how to do it. But, yep. but generally speaking, your university training or your, your job training uh, enables us to take on anything in surveying. Mm. And I never, I've never turned down an opportunity. Uh, we did a bit of land development work, um, Pete Friedman and myself, and in... Oh, I must have been early 80s. He spotted an ad for a block of land at Janelli. Yeah. And he came to me and he said, just imagine if we bought this block of land. I said, how much is it? He said, a million dollars. I said, oh, a million dollars. Oh, that's a lot of money, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Two days later, we had a loan for a million dollars. Oh, gosh. Because I saw that as an opportunity. Yeah. And, and, um, we found a way to do it. Yeah. Uh, now, it turned out it wasn't a very good development. Um, <laughs> we got a lot of experience. Yeah. Um, we got good survey fees for it, but we didn't make any money on it. Oh, and, no. <laughs> and, but you can't, you've got to buy your experience. You, mm -hmm. you, it costs money to get experience. And, and that was one of the experiences that we learned from land development. I mean, yeah, overall, right. we probably did 100, 120 uh, lots of land 
on various developments over the years. Mm. Very little money made, lots of good survey fees, but but no. Every time we went to the agent and said we're we're going to flog this um, new development that we've got. And they said, yeah, we knew that the market was da- going down because you were coming to us with a, <laughs> some land to sell. <laughs> <We're>, oh, no. <laughs> we never bought uh, at the right time and we never sold at the right time. But we don't enjoyed usually, what we were doing. Don't you usually learn from your mistakes? <laughs> yeah, but we never missed an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, I just want to go back to back to the start where you finished and started your own little consulting business. What was the instrument that you bought? I bought a Sokia. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it was Sakisha then, Sakisha mm-hmm. TM20C Theodolite. Okay. Um, it was, um, well, see, when I started with John White, we had two vernier Theodolites. Yep. And not long after I started, he bought the first Cook Troughton and Sims Microptic, which was a glass uh, mm-hmm. circle theodolite. Uh-huh. All the others were a, um, a silver vernier um, yes. reading um, on the old style theodolites. I've got mm-hmm. one here in the lounge room, actually. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he had the, the, the first um, glass circle uh, from Cook Troughton and Sims. Um, and then, uh, when I started work uh, on the pipeline, they hired this theodolite from, mm-hmm. um, surveying equipment company. And, um, at the end of the term, uh, they were going to hand it back and I said, I'll buy that. And that's, I've still got that too. Oh, really? <laughs> I've got all the old gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you still <laughs> I, got I your wire? I didn't ever use a chain. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I didn't ever use a chain, but I bought one a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So I've got a chain. Mm-hmm. Um, I got all the old bands, uh, 100 metre, well, 100 metre and 100, uh, 300 foot bands uh, yeah. that I've ever used yeah. because we started out in, in um, imperial measurement when, when we started doing surveying in my time. Mm-hmm. And then we changed over to metric in about 1973, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then you had to to learn the conversion factors and so on. And, and I can still convert all the feet and inches in my head. So. Uh, I have a few that kind of stick in my head when I hear it, but it's been that long since I've read DPs and had to do calculations. I've really got to think about it now. <laughs> yeah. That, that became, uh, you know, just sec- second nature to yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Just the oh. working in metric. Yeah. And I always knew when we looked at an old DP um, where they had the conversion down down the side to look at the conversion and pick up whether it was right or not because I had a few in, during my time where they weren't right. That's correct. Either they yeah. misread or punched into the calculator incorrectly. Yes. Yeah. 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 Anyway, and the other thing that happened was that Mm -hmm. um, some of the old plans um, they converted the the uh, uh, areas incorrectly. That was that. That's where I've seen the most errors. Okay. In areas. 
right. And that gets pretty serious. If you just take the straight area off the conversion table Mm -hmm. without calculating it yourself, you're leaving yourself wide open. I mean, apart from the fact that they were rounded off to the nearest quarter of a perch, which is about six square metres, and you'll get, you know, a variation up to six square metres, some of the conversions were just so far out, it doesn't matter. I did one a couple of years ago. Um, Solicitor came to me and said, we bought this block of land up at northern suburbs somewhere. Hmm. Um, And the surveyor says that it's umpteen square metres and we don't think it is. And it turned out it was 600, no, 240 square metres in error. Oh, wow. You can imagine how many units they were losing with 240 square metres log. Yeah, that's massive. Mm. that's yeah that's uh that's pretty bad and they would have punched the bearings and distances into a computer mm-hmm. the computer would have held the area but nobody bothered to look at it yeah right so many simple mistakes can happen can't yeah, yeah. yeah and you know the the electronic distance measuring that that came in while i was yeah um learning surveying and the, the first animal that we ever used was a box that was about that wide and about that high and you put a hood over your head to be able to read the the figures in it oh really oh there was an earlier one than that there was the tellurometer we used the tellurometer at university yeah that was that was an amazing amazingly accurate but terribly Mm -hmm. cumbersome to use Mm. because you had to work out the the hundreds of meters the tens of meters the single meters and then the the bits and pieces that came after that, if you wanted to get down to the um, the nth degree of measurement, but you could do some pretty long distances with a tellurometer. How far would one of those measure? Oh, probably 20 or 30 kilometres in the yeah, right okay. conditions. Yeah, right. But, of course, along that, that path, um, you would get various atmospheric corrections, mm-hmm. which would... Um, you may not be aware of and, and may foul up the accuracy of the, the measurement. So there was a, quite a skill in using them. Yeah, right. And then you would have gone to ones where you sit it mount, on top. Mount on top. Mount yeah. on top, yep. Yeah. 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 Still yeah. got a couple of them downstairs under the, under the house. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. they, they also had the problem of um, you had to calibrate them and and uh, that was much more cumbersome to calibrate and mm-hmm. and um you also had to be very careful with your atmospheric corrections on those um because again they were much more susceptible to error through mm-hmm. um atmospheric incorrect a- atmospheric corrections yeah and some people wouldn't even know what you're talking about when you're talking no. about the atmospheric conditions of measuring and stuff like that. So, mm. hey. so there's been a lot of changes. Mm. I remember the first handheld calculator, the first HP, and I think it was a, a 67, about that big, and it had one memory. Can oh. you imagine how oh good gosh. that was after having no memory <laughs> on any calculator? <laughs> and we just go, really? How? Yeah. One memory. So, and so then the next what... thing that came out was the CompuCore, which had two memories. 
<laughs> so you could you could actually do your eastings and northings, mm-hmm. summing them as you went. That wow. was a fabulous advance. Yeah, I bet. And, and the people who produced CompuCore had a interesting thing. If you peeled the the uh, the front cover off the keyboard, yep. there was another switch under there that gave you extra memory that somebody found out about. And 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 uh, so we 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 used the CompuCore without the face sheet on it. <laughs> <laughs> There's always someone pulling things apart, isn't there? <laughs> but that that became fairly well known. Yeah, yeah. So what do you use? What what did you just hold up then? What what oh, model did you a, have then? Oh, this this is a crappy one. It's a HP thirty three. Thirty three. But we've got better than that at work. Um, I, I don't like that one. And in fact, it's about to get thrown because one of the keys is uh, sticking, <laughs> and I don't think you can get them fixed anymore. <laughs> no. I saw in the uh, somewhere the other day. There's a uh, a good HP that's out now, and I can't think what it is. But I saw the advertisement for it, and I think I'm going to get one of those now. But it's still price? handy to have a calculator to, to uh, mm. do some calculations. Oh. Oh, I still pull mine out all the time. Yeah. Um, is that the HP Prime? Yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. Because mm. because um, they stopped with the HP fifties, and they've brought the Prime out. So we started using those uh, last year or the year before down at Wollongong TAFE. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I never really got a chance to play with it though. I was too busy doing other things. <laughs> So, yeah, they seemed pretty good, though. I guess all of these things, as you get older, you become more um, involved in the management rather than the doing, yes. don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. No. Um, yeah, anyway, it's, uh, yeah, big changes that you've you've definitely seen. How do you see the profession changing over probably, say, the next 10 years? I'm looking, I'm looking forward. To, to the thing this size that gives me centi- millimetre uh, accuracy for, uh, for measurement. I mean, you've already got, um, you can get an app on your phone, and I yes. think it's only on an iPhone, that you can point there, point there, and it'll tell you the distance between the two uh-huh. points to the millimetre. Now, how that works, I have no idea, but I've, I've seen my, uh, my uh, IT guy do it in my okay. office. Ooh, very impressive. What that is, yeah. Very impressive. And the, a couple of years ago at an international conference, I saw, um, I think it was Trimble, had a, a a thing they could put on their phone, and you would be able to use it as a, a millimeter accurate. No, sorry, centimeter accurate GPS. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been trying to get one ever since but apparently it's not available in Australia. Oh. But they've got it in the States. Oh, I wonder why they don't have it here. Something to do with the tel- telecom um, connections. Oh, okay. That, that don't suit it. Right. Okay. You th- gee, you'd think that they would work on that, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got the university doing all sorts of fancy things with with um, coordinated measurement systems. Yeah. Um, and, and eventually one of those is going to do what I've just said. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you think that that's going to take away from surveyors? No, mm-hmm. no. 
surveying is the art of measurement. Yep. And there will always be people who will incorrectly interpret the measurements or who uh, will assume that the measurements tell them one thing and, in fact, they're telling them something slightly different. Mm. So I think you're always going to need that professional expertise. Yeah. I think it's Even if it's only a case of um, uh, for assurance purposes um, in in disputes. Mm. Mm. I think that's where surveyors need to... um, realize that in certain circumstances their job is changing and they might not be the one doing but they will be the one who is um guiding and ensuring that it's what's happening is correct yeah fair enough and the other thing that you've got to be um aware of is that you can't rely on just being straight measurement based you've got to be using your your knowledge in a lot of other different areas so we've got um we do a civil works um management um Mm -hmm. we do our sydney water work Uh, we do our subdivision application type work um we've got our boundary measurement work we've got our construction work we've got fingers in a lot of little different pies That means that when one thing stops, there's still other things carrying on. If you specialise too much and that specialty comes to a halt or um, stalls for the time being, what are you doing? You're you're waiting around for an income. Yeah, so you've got something else to to direct your your time to. Yeah, Yeah, that's definitely not a a smart thing to do. Um, Seen a few few people go down because they're just in that one little niche and that's it sort of thing Mm. i mean our specialty as i said is is small stuff but um, we're across a whole range of things that suit the small stuff yes yeah yeah not just the one you're just doing a detail or a whatever it may be Yeah, yeah definitely so bob do you regret your decision in becoming a surveyor no, as it's turned out for me, it's been a pretty natural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love the outdoors and, yep. and I love getting out in the outdoors and that's uh, suited me surveying-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the mechanical engineering that I missed, well, you can do that on the, as a hobby, um, mm-hmm. which I'm now doing, but... Um, it's come to me pretty naturally. The only thing I ever did at school that was half half good was my geometry. I was I was reasonable at geometry. Um, everything else I was very very average. Mm-hmm. So um, the the natural trend for me is geometry, and that's surveying. But yeah, I was going to say. I mean, that's just surveying, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I think in in so. In 3D. So that, that guy that uh, was playing with your head, he, there's something in that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I couldn't believe my my father, as the accountant, was was a very um, uh, nuts and bolts type of person, mm. and you know, you didn't put one over him very easily. And how he could come up with this um, fellow who feels the bumps on your heads got I got no idea. <laughs> But my, my parents actually had my horoscope read when I was a month old or something. Really? 
and and I've got a, a four-page uh, document, wh which was my uh, horoscope at one month old, and um, I can't believe that either. I mean, it's completely foreign to the everything that they were yes. my parents ever were. They, they yeah. were nuts and bolts people. They weren't airy fairy hippies or anything. Wow, that's interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. Funny old world. It is. It is. Yeah. So, how do you relax? How do I relax? Ah, oh, well, at the moment we're, we've been very involved in gardening. Mm -hmm. um, Mary's the gardener. I'm just the uh, the labourer who puts the gardens together or <laughs> pulls out the big trees or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I'm giving a hand with the garden. I I have a workshop below the house, and and I love tinkering in the workshop. In 1983, we saw a vintage car display at a local fete, and I was with a, a mate then, and I said, geez, I'd love one of those. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, so would I. So a month later, I saw an ad in the trading post for a, a rolling chassis, and, and I went and bought it. And so that was $400 for four wheels and virtually a bucket of bolts uh, on the wheels. Okay. And that's still in the carport waiting for me to do something with. <laughs> in about 2000, oh, well, earlier than 2000, I, um, I decided I was going to do something with it. So I enrolled in TAFE and did panel beading and spray painting on a journeyman's course that they had at the time. Oh, that would have been and, good. And uh, I learned a bit of panel beading and spray painting and, and repaired all the panels for this old bomb that's in the, the carport. Mm -hmm. learned how to weld and how to form metal and uh, all sorts of stuff like that. And um, about 1995, I saw another ad in the trading post for a, a car near here that was half restored. And I thought, I oh, the, that, the that's, a bit, post. <laughs> that, that's a bit closer. My husband bit, loved the trading post. It's the old post. eBay. Yes. <laughs> and... It's still going. Is it? Yes. We, we were talking about it on the weekend. I'm really sorry to interrupt you there, but it is still going. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't think it's a paper anymore. I think it must be online, but it's ah. still, the trading post is still around. Because one of the problems I have is a lack of um, computer expertise. I cannot use eBay. I don't know how oh. PayPal works. Um I had to ask you what a podcast was. <laughs> if anybody, um, give, well, I've, I've got a phone, but if anything has to be done on the phone, I have to get the kids at work to do it or my yep. grandkids. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, back to the story. Yes, sorry. <laughs> this bloke down the road had this this car that was very close to being finished. And I said, I went down, had a look at it and said, yeah, well, I'll buy that. And then he took it off the market. I don't know why. But five years later, I saw the same ad in the trading post again. I recognised the phone number mm. and I rang him up and I, I said, I'll buy it. So I bought this um, partly restored Chev Ute and I thought there would be about probably five days work to get it on the road. Mm -hmm. Well, that was in 2000. In 2005, <laughs> we had a go at getting it going. And the engine seized. It was a brand new restored engine, oh, but no. somebody had done a dodgy job. Oh. So I pulled the engine out, sent it away, had it fixed, put it yep. 
brought it back home and then we went to FIG in Egypt mm-hmm. and I never did another thing until January this year. Oh, wow. So in January this year, I, I, I said, well, if I'm not careful, I'll be dead before this thing's on the road. <laughs> so I found a bloke out at Camden who um, could do the job with me because yeah. it, it turned out that it wasn't five days work. It was five months work to get oh, it going. Yeah. <laughs> and I spent the last five months going out there on Saturdays and giving him a hand. And luckily he knows what he's doing because mm. I would never have been able to restore this car. Yeah. Anyway, we got it registered in mid-June. I drove it up, up the road with Mary uh, uh, a month ago and the bloody thing seized again. So last mm. week we pulled the engine out. We pulled the engine to pieces. We found out what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Today I got two brand new pistons sent up from Adelaide by post. Yeah. I picked them up today. Next Saturday we'll go and put the engine back together and I'll be driving it home. Oh, fingers crossed. Mm. <laughs> it's interesting that the 94-year-old car, I can buy two brand new pistons, but Mary's 10-year-old camera, which has got broken plastic bits on it, we can't get spare parts. No. Isn't that amazing? Yep. Yep. We yeah. um we have a couple of old cars and yeah, some of the parts that Ben can get for them, it, it, you just go, really? You can just buy that? Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Anyway. And then uh, in, when was it? About, must have been about 1986. I needed a new mudguard for this one that's in the carport. Mm. And uh, I was, Pete Friedman's father-in-law said, there's an ad in the Telegraph. And it says 1927 Chev double basket and a phone number. I said, what's a double basket? He said, that's two cars in bits. Oh, oh. I said, they must have a, a spare mudguard. So <laughs> I rang the guy up. He said, yeah, I'm out at Mount Druid. He said, come and have a look. So I went out there. He had a carport, three-car carport, absolutely chock-a-block to the roof with car parts. And I said, where's all the body parts? This, this is all engines and things. He said, oh, come into the house. So we went into the house, and in the centre of the house, there was a ladder that went up into the ceiling, and we climbed up the ladder, and the whole of the roof of the house was body parts for cars. No way. How's the house still standing? (laughs) I said, look, all I want is a back mudguard. Yeah. He said, you either take the lot or you don't buy anything. I said, I don't want the lot. He said, you take the lot or you don't buy anything. So I went away <laughs> empty-handed and I thought about it and I thought, oh, well, for $800, I get about three cars. Yeah. Um, I'll buy it. So I got my truck license and we hired a truck and I did three trips from Mount Druitt back oh, to gosh. Como full of car parts, 27 tonnes of it. <laughs> and so that's sitting... Well, it wasn't 27 tonnes. Downstairs now? <laughs> well, there's, a, there's quite a bit left under the house. Mary, Mary came along then and, and said, there's got to be a bit of rationality here. She said, you've got to get rid of some of this junk. Yeah. So a couple of times she sent me and, and our son out to um, swap meets with a trailer load. And she said, don't come back with anything in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Obviously, you got very, rid of very useful of having all the spare parts under the house. It would be, yeah, for sure. I could imagine. Oh, so out of it all, yeah. I'll get two cars. I sold, I sold quite a bit of it. Um, mm. There were finished up. There was five cars here at one stage, but um, I, I just couldn't, couldn't move. No. Couldn't no. move. How so, many cars I, can one person have? Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll finish up with two. But the that's second car is going to be assembled when I'm in my retirement years. Yeah. So that's how, I, uh, that's how I fill in my spare time. Yeah, yeah. And retirement's not that far away, you say? A couple, couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of years. Mm. Mm. Dad worked till he was 77. It was the best thing he ever did, particularly mm. the fact that he was off his ass, um, out of the office and, and moving around and he got very fit as a, as a field hand. So um, I, I'd like to work about the same length of time because he lived to 96 and, wow. and I reckon I'll do the 100. So mm-hmm. um, you can't sit around for 35 years on your bum. You've got to, no. got to spend a bit of extra time earning a living to be able to survive those yeah. extra 25 no, years. No, and you surveyors never retire anyway. <laughs> no, I don't think I'll be handing him a ticket very quickly um, yeah. because there's yeah. still demand. I. Um, Dave Mepstead retired. Uh, he's, he's a year or two older than me, but he retired about three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was speaking to him the other day, and he said, oh, "I just happened to have taken out a new insurance policy because I'm doing some consulting on a job, and I wanted to have some professional indemnity insurance." He said, "I'm not surveying," <laughs> but he uh, said, um, "I'm using my knowledge," and I thought that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah, no, that's good. Good on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, never retire. All right, we are not far off finishing. So I just, I need to know a couple of things. Tell us me a little bit about who you are. If you see a puddle on the ground, would you walk around it, jump over it or jump in it? I try to work out how to drain it because that's my <laughs> my stormwater training. I think about why I got involved in stormwater and, and it's a case of when I was a kid, I used to love puddles and working yep. out how to drain them. <laughs> and I used to dig little ditches and, and watch the water flow down the little ditches and how fast it was flowing and whether the leaf would float to the other end. And oh, goodness so me. I think, I think I'd be trying to work out how to drain it because um, one of the things I've found is that I do a lot of stormwater design still uh-huh. um, little piddly little jobs that engineers don't want to do um they're happy to do the big flood studies Mm -hmm. but nobody does the stormwater engineering for a a tin pot extension on the back of a house and all it's a case of the water flows downhill if it doesn't flow downhill how am i going to push it uphill and and it, it just becomes second nature to you you look at a site and you immediately think where's that stormwater going Mm, so mm. I'd be working out what that puddle's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Superpower? Mm. Mm. Well, I'd probably be wanting to solve the problems of the world. Yeah. Um, and whether you did that by... Uh, changing the climate crisis or easing the burdens of the poor or what you would do. Um, one of the things that I have never done, but I'd love to do is a work party 
to a third world country. Oh. And I would love, I would love to have started something called surveying without boundaries. So same as you've got the engineers mm-hmm. without boundaries, you've got um, doctors without frontiers, medicine, um, yeah, sans frontier. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd like to solve some of the world's problems. Mm. Very nice. If you had the choice, would you do it all over again? Nice. Yeah, yeah. I've had so much fun, and I'm still having yeah. fun. Yeah, I'm enjoying good. every challenge. I've, I mean, just before you got on this, mm-hmm. I had a lawyer ringing me up, wanting some expert advice and and probably a court appearance on mm-hmm. on a, a job, and and there you are. You've got all this stuff buried in up here, yes. and somebody wants a little piece of it, and they're prepared to spend money, but um, that's irrelevant. I just love using my knowledge. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's nice to be able to to know that you've got something there that can help somebody else. When somebody rings you up, that's usually because they've got a problem, mm-hmm. and um, the the good thing is you can solve it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, we had the the ultimate a couple of years ago with a bloke who rang up, and he said. I want you to do an identification survey. I said, yes. What are we doing? He said, it's the horse's toilet. Oh. And I thought, hello. As it turned out, I'd done an identification survey in 1989 for him when he bought this property. Mm. And he'd been in, he, 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 he's quite eccentric, really, but he, he had a Shetland pony that he was keeping in his backyard in Summer Hill and the neighbours were objecting and the basis of the objection was the smell. Mm-hmm. And somehow he found out that if the horse was kept nine metres away from their house, which is the old, roughly the old 30 feet, yeah. um, they couldn't object. So he had an identification survey done by another surveyor and and then he needed that surveyor to certify the work for use in a court um, fight. And the surveyor wasn't prepared to do it. And he okay. remembered that, that he'd used us once before. Yeah. And he came to me and he said, I want you to survey this horse's toilet. Well, I spent more time than I should have on the whole job. But the, the horse was trained to poop and pee in certain parts of the, the yard so that it didn't cause any problem. And he had permission from Sydney Water to put the pee into the sewer. Mm-hmm. And he collected all the poop and sold it off or gave it away for manure um, for gardens. And he had the whole thing documented to the nth degree about what he fed the horse. He had a blood oh, tested every week. Me. He analysed the poop to see if uh, the diet was correct. He had all sorts of of paraphernalia um, to keep this thing in in the legal sense um, away mm. from getting him into trouble. But he had he had problems with the council and he had problems with the neighbour still, which went to the Land and Environment Court. And I produced a report which was used in court and he finished up, he was able to keep the horse and he was completely wow. overjoyed. So 
you, you never know what the job is that's going to come around the corner and how you can use your expertise. Now, the expertise I used there was, number one, we do Sydney water work. Number yep. two, I knew the identification survey uh, abilities. Mm -hmm. And number three was my stormwater uh, experience where I was also able to solve another little problem he had that what happens if I wash down the the area where the, the horse is living, where is it going to go? will that cause an effluent problem? And we, yeah. we put in a, an absorption drain for him that got rid of that little bit of a problem. Gosh, what a great yeah, you job. You never know what's around the corner, do you? <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, okay. We are up to quick shots. And this is basically where you say yes, no, or answer it nice and quickly. What's your choice, tea or coffee? Coffee. Cats or dogs? Dog. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Mm -hmm. Summer or winter? Summer. Roller coasters, do you love or hate them? I love them. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I went on the one on the, in Ferrari World in oh. in um, Abu Dhabi, mm -hmm. where you go naught to two hundred and forty kilometers an hour in five seconds. Oh my gosh! It's about a one minute ten second ride. You don't open your eyes for twenty seconds. There's no goggles <laughs> except for the people on the front row. Yeah, you're not allowed to have anything like. Um, a hat or anything loose mm. you've got to mm -hmm. put your mobile phone in a locker you're not allowed to have anything that can fall off but for the first 20 seconds you cannot open your eyes because of the wind force wow. and when you do open your eyes you're upside down on this roller coaster oh, <laughs> fabulous adrenaline junkie <laughs> yes three items you would take to a desert island um a good stock of red wine, mm -hmm. another stock of white wine, and a bag of nuts. Oh, a big that bag of nice. nuts. Nice. <laughs> I'm probably choosing Mickey's if I thought the cheese would last. Ooh. I need to come and have drinks with you if there's cheese and Mickey's involved. <laughs> uh, Favourite book? Lee Child. Um, Jack Reacher. Oh, yeah, they're good, aren't they, those people? Yeah. Yep. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert now. Mm hmm Is your glass half full or half empty? Half full. One thing you'd never do again? Mm hmm, mm -hmm. Get divorced. <laughs> uh, if you had a warning label, what would it be? A warning label? A warning label. Mm. Don't take the grog away from me. <laughs> Who knows you best? Oh, Mary. Mm -hmm. yeah. Favourite subject in school? Probably French. Okay. Mm. Nice. Favourite childhood memory? Oh, car trips with, with Dad and the old FJ. Mm -hmm. we, we did a few trips around every, every well, one one trip every year probably for annual holidays. Yep. And and uh, 
loved it. Mm-hmm. Favorite food? Cheese and bickies. <laughs> yeah, I think cheese and bickies. Yeah. Favorite drink? Oh, uh, Durif, red wine. Mm. Pet peeve. Don't know that I've got one. Okay. That's all right. No. Yeah. Win the lottery or the perfect job? Uh, you're dreaming to win the lottery, so I, I think I'll <laughs> stick with the perfect job. What's your biggest fear? That I don't live to 100. <laughs> Favourite sport? Probably swimming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you a morning or a night person? Night. Mm-hmm. Proudest moment? Oh. Uh, Probably being the president of the institution for two years was was the biggest moment of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. On a scale didn't, of didn't, one, I didn't oh, think sorry. I could do that, and um, oh. uh, it was a very challenging time. Yeah. And I think think that was that was the biggest moment of my life. Okay. On a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? Uh, what is cool? Well, I'm probably about a one. No, I don't think I'm, I'm so. I'm not. I'm not very, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> Green car. Jaguar. Oh, Mark nice. II Jaguar. Or oh, actually, mm. E-type Jaguar. If I had the, yeah. the super choice. Yeah. No, money's no object here. I know. E-type <laughs> we can Jag. dream all we like. V12 E-type. There's one oh. of them up the garage at the moment. Nice. Local nice. garage has got one in for repair. Mm-hmm. What's your favourite colour? Blue. Uh, Apple or Android? Uh, <laughs> I've got an Android and it's the only, I mean, it's all you I'm know. hopeless with it. I can't <laughs> use Mary's Apple. I, I can't use the iPhone. It's hopeless. Okay. And lastly, what's your star sign? Sagittarius. Sagittarius, mm. December, baby, December. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, that is it from me. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, we have spoken about your apex and the chalet and everything. So um, I know that, that you're very passionate about that, which is fantastic. And I will put that into my show notes Um with their link and everything. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we finish? No, this has been fun. Good, yeah. good. Yeah. And how can people find you? LinkedIn? No. No? None of no that LinkedIn? stuff. No? None of that stuff. Website? Yeah. <laughs> well, Harrison Friedman website. Harrison Friedman yeah. website. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Somebody's t- fixed that up to the, the it, it's not much of a website, but it works apparently. <laughs> yeah, no, it Which, looks all one right. One of the things that, that we don't do very well um, is the um, the web uh, internet interaction um, because we haven't had to. Everything yeah. that, that has come my way has been through word of mouth. Yeah. 
mm. all of our clients, word of mouth. Mm. And, and that's been a huge survival technique um, for the business. Yeah. Well, I mean, there must be something good going on there for it mm. to, yeah. to be going. We don't, we don't bother doing a survey of our clients. They just keep coming. Mm-hmm. So we don't ask them if they're happy or not. They just keep coming. <laughs> There's no point in asking them. <laughs> no, not if they're coming back. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on today, Bob. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed our chat. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Bob. Stay tuned in a fortnight for a special chat with Tim Birch, President-elect of NSPS in America, with an exciting giveaway.